Well, we have been on a journey three weeks now into what we are calling the Deliver Us From Evil sermon series. Um, In the first week, we looked at what evil really is. It's that choice. It's that movement away from the goodness and the will of God. Evil is that which is contrary to the will of God. An Oxford professor, Austin Farrer, once said, when we speak of evil, we are speaking of that same spirit of that perversity alive in every sin. A spirit that could look at the glory and blessing of God full in the face and say to blank, you fill in the blank, with you, I'm going to go my own way. That's evil. And then last week we looked and asked the question, is God really to blame for evil? If he's all powerful, why is there evil? Why has he not destroyed it? And now this week we're going to ask maybe an even more primary question, and it's simply this, does evil really exist? Perhaps it's really just some religious or psychological invention. Is, really, is evil really that big a deal? Think about it. The whole red goat man with a beard, horns, and a tail with a pitchfork running around making people do bad things. Or uh, has, has religion or superstition over the years been the explanation for mental illness or social maladjustment that may be the enlightenment, rationalistic thinking that, that the scientific age has impressed upon us? When people say that the, that was those people or, or, or that group is possessed by evil, is, isn't that just some ex- excessive paranoia or some superstition that should have died with the Salem witch trials? Do we really need to take as serious the theme of evil when the Bible talks about it? In fact, we're 2,000 years removed from these words are written. Maybe we just need to relax from all the, the evil talk. What do you think? One of my favorite movies is The Usual Suspects. Now, I can't recommend it because it's violent and the language is horrible. So I'm just going to tell you a little bit about it. Those of you laughing probably have seen it. But there is a police detective that's on a mission to figure out this kind of, this just spree of violent crime and corruption that has plagued his city. And what he is finding is he's putting the clues together that it seems to the root of all of this crime <clears throat> seems to be in this cruel, wicked, even evil influence that has a foreign identity known as Kaiser Sose. And the detective's main source of intelligence is this half-wit snitch, this invalid that they call the gimp. The whole movie, he's you know, kind of sliding his leg through. Even the criminals, he's a bad guy, but even the criminals don't really fully validate Verbal Kent. That's his name, played by Kevin Spacey. And as Verbal describes this shadowy figure of Kaiser Sose, it just seems far too clever too powerful, too dramatic to even seem possible. And in the, towards the end, Verbal has this great line. He says, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was getting the world to believe he didn't exist. And finally, fed up, 
with the invalid. The detective dismisses him, frustrated because he just doesn't have time to hear any more of these stories. And so Verbal leaves the police station. He shuffles down the steps. He makes his way down the block. And the detective is just sitting there looking at this wall of all of these clues. And all of a sudden, the light bulb goes off. And he realizes in that moment that Verbal Kent is Kaiser Sose. And he runs out of the police building and he scans to his left and right. There's no sign of Verbal who has made his way around the corner. And all of a sudden you see Verbal straighten up, walk smoothly, get into a car that's waiting for him, and he drives away. And the credits roll. It's awesome. <laughs> I mean, it's just awesome. Again, I can't recommend it, but it's awesome. <laughs> the, the great... C.S. Lewis, in his marvelous book, The Screwtape Letters, says this. He says, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive, unhealthy interest in them. The devils, he says, themselves are equally pleased with both errors. Hail the materialist or the magician. We might say the secularist or the, the fanatic. Because they're equally pleased with both errors with the same delight. Causes the pause and asks the question, what is it that you actually believe about evil and why? There is no way that you can read this book, the Bible, and do like some people still do today, and to say that evil really is not that significant of a theme in the pages of Scripture. I beg to differ. Because even from the beginning, right at the beginning of the first book, Genesis, which is, talks all about the beginnings, it places evil in the garden, wanting to thwart the goodness of God, to take hostage humanity, to destroy this good creation that God has made. In the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, over 30 times, you see the theme of evil. In the book of Acts, we are ex explicitly told that there is the reality of supernatural evil. <clears throat> and in Ephesians chapter 6, this is the Apostle Paul, he says that our most significant struggle in life is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And the book of Revelation, as we know, ends this dramatic, amazing story of God with a final showdown between God and the enemy, Satan and all of these evil forces. And we know the good news. God wins. That he destroys evil forever and brings a new heaven and a new earth. The question I'm asking you today is the same one facing that detective trying to get his head around Kaiser Sose, is can you really believe all this? Can you really believe it? There is a, was a little girl who was scolded by her mom for pushing her brother down to the ground and then spitting on him. Sounds like a little bit like my kids, to be honest with you, sometimes. But the mom, when, when she yells at the little girl, she said, the devil made you do that, sweetie. And the little girl replies and said, Mama, the devil may have made me push him down, but I thought of spitting on him all by myself. 
And I think sometimes evil, or maybe many of the times, works like that. We have this, this external, these evil forces that are wanting to take us away from the goodness of God. And, and when it's intertwined with our own sin, it leads down these paths to where just horrific things can happen. I was just chatting with a group of guys who have the fortune or maybe misfortune worked in the CIA, the FBI, who have done tours overseas. They have looked at evil in the face. They, they describe it as it's more than just the history and the different influences on groups of people around the world or even here in the States. He goes, you can see it. It's palpable. You can feel the evil that just invades some people. I watch the news stories, perhaps you do too, and, and I have to say there is something more than just bad parenting or bad socioeconomics or some injustices or whatever, even though evil can use all, but there's something bigger beyond it that is just driving, pulling this world, even pulling our lives apart. There is a story in the Bible in Mark chapter 5 of a crazy demon-possessed man who lives in tombs in a graveyard. <clears throat> and when I read stories like this, I, I'll be honest, it's hard for me to relate because I don't often come across crazy demon-possessed people who live in graveyards. Church parking lots, maybe. <laughs> graveyards, not so much. Um, but I want to read this story to you, and I want to examine or just look at maybe how evil works its way in and plays itself out. Because when we can relate to this story, we begin to have tools, to begin to have eyes to see how evil plays itself out in our world. In Mark chapter 5, this is what we read. They, meaning Jesus and the disciples, went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure, unclean spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been chained hand and foot, and he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones." When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said, Come out of him, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again not to send him out of the area. And if you know the story, Jesus does in fact send those demons, that impure spirit, out of the man into a, a big herd of pigs. And in a frenzy, those pigs stampede and end up plunging and drowning themselves, destroying themselves in a lake. <clears throat> the people get a little freaked out, but then we have this closing encounter with Jesus and this man. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but he said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell the Decapolis, 10 cities around Galilee, how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed, amazed at the deliverance in this man's life. 
The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. <clears throat> so I wanted to just share with you four things that we see in this story with this man. First is that this is a man without love. His soul was totally cut off from meaningful relationships and connections to the point that he lived in the tombs, that he just wandered the hillsides, that he was so alienated from relationships that his only friendships perhaps were those of the dead, lifeless people. Second, this man was without peace. It's interesting. Let me back up because God is described as love in the book of 1 John. God is love. But this man lives now in the absence of love, right? It's what God has implanted in us. This man has somehow lost that. Secondly, he's without peace. No one could even bind him, right? He would just tear these chains. You know, some of it we think like, you know, some superhero that could just break iron, right? Probably he would disfigure his hand. Like he was, it was probably torturous to rip these chains off of him because people wanted to protect themselves from him, but also probably protect him from himself. And they just couldn't. We get this picture of just this violent, agitated soul that's just flailing around in life, restlessly wandering everywhere. No peace. Quite the contrary to Jesus who says, I have come that you may know my peace, that you would have life. Thirdly, this man lived without joy. Not happiness, right, which can be so fleeting, but joy, kind of that inner disposition that propels us forward in life Presumably, people had heard his wails night and day all throughout the hillside and in the graveyards, right? Because the only cry of this man's life was that of pain. And finally, here is a soul without hope. He had apparently lost all capability to think clearly. He couldn't envision a different day, a better day. He was trapped. And when in the spiral he just moved towards self-destruction from the inside out, playing itself out by cutting himself because pain was, again, all he knew. Life without love, without peace, without joy, without hope, does that sound like anything that you watch on the news or read about in the papers? I see those stories playing themselves out far too often all around us, and I wonder if we just think, well... That's just the way it is. Have we missed maybe the work behind those things? The Bible doesn't tell us how these dark shadows crept into this man's life, rooted themselves so deeply in his life. But if we were to put our own clue board together by just looking at our own life or look, observing the world around us, I think we could come up with a few clues. The enemy likes to gently plant the thought in people's minds that you just are worthless, that you really can't fully be happy unless you have that fruit or that you look better or that you make more money. And so we will work ourselves into a friendly frenzy, into our pursuits, into our desires until we can even remove ourselves from meaningful, connected relationships with others or evil simply whispers 
into the lives of people, into their souls, or through our, even our media channels. That happiness is always around the next corner. That next thing that you will get. So people become restless, moving from one job to the next, from one relationship to the next, from the next self-help practice to the next, desperately trying to get what they cannot name, but relentlessly pursuing it themselves. Or sometimes evil hisses that you're, what you've done is just so shameful, so unforgivable, that you are just so undesirable, that, that what has been done is just unredeemable. And it leaves countless people in this world crying out night and day and nothing but pain spiraling into their own self-abasement or even abuse. Is it any wonder that evil calls itself legion in this man's life? The people of Israel knew about legions. A legion was a, was a corps of 6,000 Roman soldiers who had one job, to enforce the identity of Rome and Caesar upon the peoples that they have conquered. It was to ruin the national identity of all these people groups so that they would become Rome. And the legions were good at it. Evil, I think in similar ways, wants to ruin this image, this identity that God has put in us. It wants us to live apart from love and peace and joy and hope. But I think it wants to go even further. I think evil seeks to leave us lonely or restless, miserable and despairing. But evil's ultimate aim is to destroy that goodness, that image that God has put in us, to obliterate the image of God so that we would become like those pigs and stampede ourselves into the abyss to destroy ourselves from the inside out. Like Kaiser Sose, this adversary is remarkably deceptive, remarkably cunning. He's out to destroy, but there is good news. Because there is one final truth that we talked about. It's the reality of the gospel. It's the reality that Jesus Christ, God has gone the full distance to deliver us from evil, but not just to deliver us, but to give us victory. Victory, both now, and that will also fully be realized one day when evil is forever destroyed. It is not a fantasy. I promise you that. It is what we call the good news. Next week, we're going to look, look at that evil cannot stand before Christ. Think about it. The, that legion falls before the knees of Jesus and begs him not to torture them or to cast them out of the area. That is power, my friends. And that is the power that God says, I'm putting in you. Greater is he who is in you than the one that is in the world. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy, but I have come that you may have life, Jesus says, and have it to the full. How do we overcome evil? Hebrews chapter 12 give us a clue. It says, by running with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter, the pioneer of our faith. It's by fixing our eyes on Jesus. It's, it's persevering. It's staying on the good course. 
not getting distracted and moving on side pathways, moving into the shadows, but running towards that light. <clears throat> Make no mistake, evil is a big deal because God has gone great lengths to ensure that we can have victory. But it's hard to remember sometimes. In our day-to-day, -day, even our busyness, maybe this is where evil has crept into our lives and we haven't even realized it, that we move at a relentless pace. And so we need to be reminded. We need to have series like this that call us back. I want to read to you one more passage of Scripture out of Second Peter. And I just want you to hear how he's talking about this reality, but where you hear the good news of what God is doing. He says, dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate your wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through the apostles. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come scoffing, following their own evil desires. Sound familiar? They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, have died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, God's, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of the water and by water. And by these waters also the world at that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heaven and earth are reserved for fire being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not forget this one thing. With the Lord, a thousand years is like a day, and a day is like a thousand years. I reversed that, but you got it. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient. The Lord is patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with the roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed like th in this way, what kind of people ought you be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming because we'll be pushing back evil, that the will of God will be happening on earth as it is in heaven. Um, that day will bring about destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt away. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless and blameless and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. Good news? Amen. Remind, remind, right? Keep reminding yourself there is a reality of evil, but there is a final day coming. And so how we live now, because of what we know, we live with perseverance fixing our eyes on Jesus. It is my responsibility to ask you this question. Where is your focus right now? What is in your mind? What is in your heart? What is going on in your life? Have you fixed your eyes on Jesus and the kingdom of God in every area 
of your life? Or have you been listening to the enemy's propaganda? Have you looked at some of these enticing shadows? Do you see some fruit out there that you know you just should not take? Are you moving so fast that you've become so encumbered and burdened that you just don't have time for relationships? Has evil already found a little grip or foothold in your life that there's no time for study and prayer and meaningful relationships and rest? Is there some lie or vice or some vanity in your life to where it just keeps squeezing you more and more and more? Here is my encouragement. There is victory and deliverance, but we have to choose the right path. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. Reinforce your life with prayer and the scriptures and with those spiritual friendships and be a source of strength for others because he who is in you, he who is in you is greater than the one in the world. Let's pray. Father, we stand in all of your power and love. God, we thank you for the joy and peace and hope that you intend, that you have planted in our lives. God, I pray that we would repent where we need to repent, that, God, we would move where we need to move more and more toward you, fixing our eyes on Jesus. God, supply us with that power because who is in us we can trust is greater than anything that is in this world. God, may it be so of every single one of us, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.